Welcome to the Cold Brew Podcast. It is September 16th. I am Dave Gasper, joined as always by Matt Carroll, and we are the guys at ReviewingTheBrew.com. We just wrapped up our minor league tour last week, talking with all the Brewers' minor league affiliate uh, radio broadcasters, and now we're back on the major league Brewers, and we have a lot to catch up on. And keeping with the trend, we had to get another radio play-by-play broadcaster slash TV play-by-play sometimes, uh, and friend of the podcast, Jeff Levering, joining us this week on the pod. Jeff, how's it going, man? Hey, it's going great. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Yeah, always glad to have you on and always glad to have you on the week after you call a no-hitter for the first time in franchise history in 34 years. And Jeff, when you were on the show last, I called this one. I told you it was going to happen and it finally happened. I told you. You, I think this is the the whole redemption podcast for you, David. This it is, is this is the this is the one hundred percent. I told you so episode, right? Because I oh, remember yeah. talking about this when it was still snowing outside, mm-hmm. um, and you said, "Man, I, I wrote it in my article that someone's going to no, throw a no hitter this year." And by golly, you were right. You were right. It happened. There have been a lot of opportunities for it to happen this year. I feel like this pitching staff. Every day someone takes the mound, they could throw a no-hitter, and they've, they've really had a phenomenal season. And it was Corbin Burns and Josh Hader that were able to turn the trick last weekend in, uh, in Cleveland. And it was, a, it was an amazing accomplishment, and it was so fun to watch. And you could, you could basically see it coming from the third inning on. Yeah, it almost felt like uh, Adrian Hauser's complete game shutout was a precursor to it. Like, that was... That was kind of amazing considering how many pitchers had gotten close to breaking the complete game streak. And then Hauser does it. Um, but that, that just couldn't have been it for this Brewers pitching staff. And lo and behold, uh, an even more amazing feat uh, ends up happening. And you're right there for it. Yeah, I think you're right, Matt. I think the, the complete game that Hauser threw and, and Corbin Burns has been close a couple different times. Remember his first start coming out of the all-star breakdown in Cincinnati, he goes eight and a third and then some screwy stuff happens in the ninth inning. There's some errors and some other weird things. And, and Craig council had to take him out. Um, but there have been other opportunities where you, you think, man, this, this might be the day where they go CG. Um, but Adrian was kind of the, the guy that said, yep, all right, I'm going to do it. He was, his pitch count was very low. And had it not been for a 10 pitch at bat with Austin hedges, I feel like with Corbin Burns, he might have had an opportunity to, to throw a complete game too, but at 115 pitches, I understood and the, there was a big question on whether or not he was going to go out there for the eighth. And I think mm-hmm. Corbin really had to lobby with Craig um, to go out for that eighth inning. He wanted to stay in the ball game. And I don't, I, there might've been a fist fight in, in between the seventh <laughs> and the eighth inning had, had Craig said, no, nah, man, we're going to take the ball from you here in the seventh. Um, I think Corbin was really determined Um to get out there for the eighth inning. I, I knew that as soon as he went out there for the eighth, he wasn't going to have an opportunity to finish it, even though he had a 10 pitch eighth inning. Um, but it was, it was a cool atmosphere um, because there were a lot of Brewers fans that were there. It's not a long drive from Milwaukee to get to Cleveland. There were a good number of Brewers fans that were sitting above the first base dugout. And, and again, like I said, you could just feel it coming. Um, he had that stuff like, he had in Chicago in August when he was just mowing down the Cubs at one point struck out 10 in a row, ended up striking out 15. And it's great that after the ball game, Corbin said, you know, 
he knew he had good stuff and he started getting all these strikeouts and he didn't realize he had a no hitter going, but he goes, I'm going to go for 16 strikeouts. Maybe, maybe I'll go for that. Maybe I'll go for a new record as opposed to, as opposed to the no hitter. And then he realized, well, I haven't given up a hit yet. So I might as well go for that too. Um, it, it, it just was really special to do it. And then, and then over the next couple of days, when you go to Detroit and Juan Nieves is the assistant pitching coach in Detroit and you get all those guys together, uh, the, the two no hitters in franchise history just happened to, to see each other. All three of the authors of the no hitters see each other and have a chance to talk with each other two days later. Um, just a great coincidence that, that it worked out that way. Yeah. And just, you know, really awesome uh, sight to see. I remember when, when I told you about it um, and I'm like, okay, yeah, I think they're going to end up having, having the no hitter. You told me that it's like a bold, but they got the arms to do it. And I think I also said in there, it could be a combined no hitter because council's not really a fan of complete games, which is, is true. And that is, that did end up happening. Um, but yeah, dude, look at you fact checking. Did you go back? Yeah, and listen I to did the go back. I did go back. Notes. Yeah, I, I went back, <laughs> listened to the episode. If anyone else wants to go back, it's, it's episode thirty-two, Brewer season preview with Jeff Levering. Um, you can you can find it all in there. Um, but yeah, so it ends up being a combined no hitter. Burns hater. Um, and I, I think we've kind of everyone's kind of talked this to death over the last like week or so. Um, you know, was it the right move taking out Burns and blah, blah, blah. And it's, it's like, I, I think everyone kind of understands like, yes, it's the right move. It hurt to kind of see Burns not be able to finish it because you want to see him finish what he started there. But I think we all kind of understand it's like, okay, I mean, they have bigger goals here. It, it's the right move to, to pull him out there. Yeah, I, I think you're right. And, and if the, the season was going differently, if the Brewers were in the situation the Pirates are in right now, Corbin Burns goes out there and he tries to finish the no-hitter. Uh, I also think that had there not been the leadoff walk in the seventh inning to Miles Straw, mm-hmm. uh, which was the only base runner that they had in the entire game, if he's still perfect going through eight, I think that he goes out there for the ninth. Mm-hmm. If he's perfect. But he wasn't. So it kind of took, took some of the drama out of it in my opinion. And that's when Hader comes in. Hader hadn't worked for a few days. You get him in there um, and he finishes it. And, and I thought it was great that Hader said after the ball game too, that that was the most nervous he'd ever been. And he's pitched in playoff games. He's pitched in high leverage situations all the time, but he said that was the most nervous that he'd ever been on a mound um, because it didn't have to do with him necessarily. He was just trying to finish what Corbin started. Uh, and that, I thought that was really neat too. Um but again, if the Brewers don't have the kind of season that they're having right now with hoping for six more weeks of baseball with the playoffs around the corner, I think Corbin goes out there for another inning. Yeah, I think Craig was almost hoping for Burns to give up a hit in the seventh or the eighth just so he could have an excuse to pull him out and not I feel be yelled like- at by anyone. I feel like Craig hopes for a hit early in the game, every single game so that he doesn't have to make that decision at some point. Cause you can see as the games go further and further along and the Brewers don't give up a hit. And that's happened over the last week where the Brewers haven't given up a hit since the fifth inning or something, or until the fifth inning, um, you can see his mind kind of working going, Oh my God, just give up a hit, man. Just, I don't care. Just give up a hit. So I don't have to make this decision. 
Come on. Yeah. Maybe not a home run, but like a single or something. Just right. something. Right. Lay a bunt down. I don't care. Just <laughs> get in the hit column. <laughs> now, uh, speaking of haters' nerves, what were your nerves like going into that ninth inning, knowing that something potentially historic was about to happen um, and you're, you know, on the radio for it? Uh, my nerves were not that bad, to be honest with you. I, I was just kind of enjoying the moment. I don't have to pitch. I don't have to catch. I don't have <laughs> to make those decisions. All I have to do is describe it and make sure I get the words right. And I, I think I got the words right. Um, you know, the only thing, and I, I try not to script stuff. Um, I, don't, I don't like doing that. But the only thing that I wrote down was the date of the Juan Nieves no-hitter. April 15th of 87 because I wanted to make sure I got that right. So I don't even know if I used it as in the first no hitter since April 15th, 1987. Uh, I, if I was going to say that I wanted to make sure I had the date, right. Um, but that's all I, I wrote down. Um, I was just trying to describe the action, be in the moment, get everything right. Um, and just say what I felt, you know, and then, you know, it, it felt that way when I had the Vogelback Grand Slam the weekend before, you know, it, no one expected that to happen. And I think you could tell the surprise in my voice when he hit the ball. They go, are you kidding me? This is really happening. <laughs> and in that moment, you don't anticipate it for a no hitter. You got eight innings to think about it. Um, so yeah, I was just trying to feel it. And um, I'm just lucky that, that I had the opportunity to do it. Number one, number two, the fact that I was in person to do it uh, in Cleveland, seeing it with my eyes and not having to react to it over a, a monitor. Um, that's where, you know, I, I really feel for Craig Sean and, and Bill Schroeder who are on the TV call for it. You just, they're sitting there in American family field and the growth lights are on and there's nobody in the ballpark mm -hmm. and you have to try and get the energy to, to have that moment. And I was really lucky the fact that I could be in the moment, see everybody celebrating, see everybody cheering, hear it, feel it, taste it, be a part of it. Um, and that's where I'm, I'm really, really lucky that I was there to see it. Yeah. I mean, that, that's just, you know, a, a really kind of special moment and yeah. And, and especially for like the one at American family field there. I mean, you haven't like having the, that grand slam come and you have, you have the crowd supplying, everything that crowd was as loud as I've heard in a while. I, I was at that game and I was like, Oh, I could totally see him going yard here. I didn't expect him to do it on the exact next pitch. Um, but it was certainly great to see. Um, but yeah, so for, uh, you know, like you're there, you're watching it. There's always with a no hitter, there's always the play and Lorenzo Kane of all people, supplies the play which is very similar looking to robin yount's catch to save nievis's um mm -hmm. so you obviously you know could see the jump you could see locaine flying into the gap to get it um but what, what are your thoughts on just that play the the play from from kane yeah I, it was a great play um he got a huge jump on it and from our vantage point we were just a little bit on the first base side of home plate so, and, and the, the fact that it was Owen Miller, a Wisconsin kid who hit the ball too, you're mm -hmm. like, no way, Wisconsin kid's going to break this thing up. How great is that? If he does, mm -hmm. and what a story, because his parents were in the, in the ballpark too. Um, but Lowe just got such a great jump on it. 
And from where we were, I wasn't sure if it was going to slice more into right or if it stayed on its path and stayed in the gap. But the way that Lorenzo was going for it, um, I, I just knew he was going to make some sort of a play. And, um, and he did. It was great. I, I know he needed to dive for that one. There are a lot of rumors about whether Robin needed to dive for his because uh, he kind of he kind of catches it and then sells out a little bit afterwards, which is great for the theatrics. And I love the catch and I love Robin. And it's a great and awesome moment to end a no hitter. Uh, but Lorenzo, one thousand percent needed to dive for his. Um, and the fact that it was the last out that Corbin Burns got of his eight innings made it a little bit more special too. I thought uh, that was a great play. It's great. And the Jace Peterson play in the ninth, and it was a foul ball. Mm-hmm. Um, but him getting, you know, spit out by the net down the right field line after he takes a catch in foul territory is awesome. Yeah. I watched that play a few times again this morning, just kind of reliving it. That was an amazing stretch by Peterson. And just uh, once again, just want to touch on the fact that Corbin Burns, who has 29, walks now in over 150 innings that it ends up being a Corbin Burns walk that stops a combined perfect game just again how crazy is it that I mean that is absolutely baseball that something like that would happen yeah it really is um and there were some some moments there there was a ground ball I think in the eighth inning that Luis Rios had that he kind of bobbled on a little bit and fired to first and you know, the fact that it was just a walk, you know, it, it is what it is. And it's miles strong and, and they go one over the minimum in that entire ball game. Um, you know, it just, and I think Corbin said it after the game too, where it was in the sixth inning where he started talking about the strikeouts and trying to go for 16 or potentially trying to go for 18. Um, and that's when he realized the no hitter happened. And that's after the sixth is when he goes, oh my gosh, I'm throwing a no hitter right now. Um, maybe he lost his focus there for just a moment to the leadoff man in the seventh inning. But, you know, the fact that it was just one walk, one base runner doesn't take anything away from me. And, and, you know, they have the, all these game scores out there now, right. And analytics and the fact that his game score for eight innings, punching out 14, walking one, allowing no hits, no runs. The fact that that's a 95 is insane. That should be a 99 or a 98 at the least. It's a, it's a beautiful pitching performance. It should be a higher grade than 95. Yeah. Uh, I don't know how they, how they compute that. That's, I don't know. It's some arbitrary computer doing it somewhere, but I, yeah, (laughs) he should have more than a 95 rating. Yeah. I don't know, but okay. So as I've, as I've kind of mentioned a couple of times, you know, this was one of my bold predictions before the season that this would happen. So in the interest of uh, transparency, let, I suppose let's rehash the other bold predictions that I made that we went over <laughs> earlier in the year. And let's see how they've worked out so far. All right. Bold prediction number one, Travis Shaw returns to form, hits 30 or more home runs. That one, I don't, I don't think it's coming true. I, I don't think that one's going to, that one's going to work. Um, but number it was a heck two, of an effort though. Heck of it an was. Effort. Yeah. And now he's in now he's in Boston and he's kind of you know back over there and he's doing fairly well it seems so mm-hmm. uh, happy for him mm-hmm. there. Bowl prediction number two: Freddie Peralta permanently establishes himself in the rotation, becomes a number three starter. I'd say that one worked out. Yeah, nailed it. Check. Nailed Check. it. Nailed it. 
Bowl prediction number three, Brewers will throw their first no-hitter since 1987. Shaq nailed it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, bowl prediction number four, Brewers will have a big year at award season, winning two gold gloves, the MVP and Cy Young. Well, a couple are still in play. The MVP is not. Um, but Cy Young, as we've just kind of talked about here with Corbin Burns, I mean, Cy Young is still in play for him, perhaps even Brandon Woodruff as well. Uh, gold gloves, Colton Wong, obviously very strong contender once again. And maybe, you know, Omar Narvaez or, you know, someone else can, can sneak in and get one. I don't know if Kane might have missed too much time to get another gold glove this year, I think. Yeah, yeah and I don't think Jackie Bradley Jr. has enough. I mean, he probably doesn't have enough games played. Yeah. He, he's played a bunch, but I don't know if he, he'd, he'd have an opportunity to. Um, you might have reliever of the year in Josh Hader. Yeah. Or no. Mm-hmm. That yeah, could happen, that, that's too. That's, there's some award season for you. And Willie Adamas was kind of getting himself into that MVP conversation had he not got hurt. Um, mm-hmm. That that was kind of a, a shot in the dark, but it, it could have happened. He's no one's been more valuable to this team than, than Willie has. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, and then the final one I had here, um, it, was, it was kind of a combined bold prediction. Ryan Braun returns midway through the season, helps Brewers secure their first world series championship <laughs> in franchise history. Well, the world series, I suppose is still alive, but the Ryan Braun dream uh, is pretty much dead. Uh, at this point, Braun announcing on Tuesday his retirement um, from his active playing career. And really, I mean, for this entire generation, you know, Braun's been the guy. You know, the older generation had Yount, had Molitor. Um, but for, for the younger generation, you know, Braun was the guy. It's, it's the Ryan Braun era that he started, you know, getting this team back into the playoffs. Jeff, you've covered so many games of Ryan Braun's career and, and called them. What, what are some of your favorite Ryan Braun moments? Sure. Well, I mean, half of your prediction was right. He did come back. He didn't come back to play. He just came back to hang out at a game. Um, there we go. <laughs> and you yeah, tried I'll to press it. him on, you tried to press him on whether or not he was coming back. And he goes, I don't know. I don't know if the door's closed yet. Uh, Duke was well, pressing door... so hard to get him to come back. <laughs> Every time he, he came in, he's just doing as much as he can. Remember, he's like, "Oh yeah, remember seeing your, your, you know, your kids, you know, around the clubhouse. Miss seeing them around." Like... Yeah, right. <laughs> he was trying. He was trying yeah. to lobby. Um, you know, I, when I think about Ryan Braun, he just. Every time he came to the plate in a big situation, it felt like he came through. Um, for 14 years, it felt that way. But there are there are three hits in particular that that I always think about um, when it comes to Ryan Braun and him just being clutch. Number one was in 2018. It was one of Yelich's first home games. It was against the Cardinals, and Yelich hits a game tying home run in the ninth. And then on the very next pitch, they're still going through the home run gauntlet down in the the dugout, and then. Yelich isn't even halfway through the gauntlet and Braun on the very next pitch goes deep and wins the game. Um, it was one of the first, it was, I think the first home stand of the season in 2018, but I'll never forget that one. Uh, the other, the, another one is his six hit game. I believe it was against the Mets uh, where he ended up having the walk off. That was in May of 19, six hits. And his last hit was a walk off base hit. Um, 
just having six hits in a game is insane. I think it was a 15 in a game or something like that. No, 18 in a game. Oh, right. Mm-hmm. Wasn't it 18 oh, innings? Yeah. I think I that was that one. I think I can go back and look. I think it was 18 innings. Um, and then the last one for me, one that I'll never, never, ever, ever, ever forget was St. Louis in 19 mm-hmm. down the stretch. Yelly just got hurt, fractured his kneecap. Braun's wearing two jerseys. He's wearing the Yelly jersey underneath his Braun jersey on top. And you could see kind of the ribbon on both sides. So he's mm-hmm. kind of got the double ribbons. That's the only reason you knew he's wearing two jerseys. And the Brewers are down to their final strike in St. Louis, getaway day, and he hits the grand slam off of Junior Fernandez. And um, I'll never forget it. First, the fact that I had the call on it was amazing. And second, just the reaction from the Cardinals fans. They went from, <laughs> yeah, 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 game's going to end to just <laughs> <laughs> the life just got sucked out of them on a Ryan Braun grand slam. And it was awesome it was awesome i'll never forget that yeah speaking of uh sad cardinals if you haven't heard the cardinals radio call after the <laughs> vogelback home run yeah oh my gosh priceless yeah Price. Dan I, McLaughlin's I call was it was sad oh. i felt bad for him it was the second time that he'd had that in a week too because there mm-hmm. was one in pittsburgh where sutsugo i think hit a walk off either three run homer or whenever it was after they blew it, I think they gave up six runs in the ninth or whatever it was to lose. And that call was just as deflating. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. He's done it again. Dan, I can't believe it. I, uh, yeah, it's, it's not easy listening to, but if you put yourself in those shoes, you, you kind of can understand how deflating that can be. Um, I try not to think about that. We've been there before. But, um, yeah, that was, I love Dan, but it was kind of fun listening to it. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, for Cardinals fans too, I mean, that loss is equally as depressing. I mean, they're, they're fighting for a, a wild card spot and it's like, Oh, and, you know, here's our chance to kind of, you know, climb back in it and, and chase down, you know, the brewers. And then that happens. And it's like, Oh, and now you fall for the game out here. Things have ended up just fine. I mean, they're still kind of in that second wild card spot now because the Padres continue to collapse. The Reds continue yeah. to collapse. I don't know what's going on with those guys. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, the Cardinals are ending up just fine for now until, you know, the Brewers still have seven more games against them. Perhaps they can just bury them away from October. Just just stay away. You know, you've, you've derailed two postseason runs for this franchise. We're not letting you derail a third. Uh, <laughs> uh, even if they get into that wild card game they're gonna have to go through the giants or the dodgers mm-hmm. yeah right? so at that point it's a winner take all and you throw your 40 year old adam wainwright out there but <laughs> who knows he, he might have to pitch on the last day of the season just to get him in so who knows what they're gonna try and do yeah have, have him throw against the 37 year old max scherzer and man that's gonna be something um yeah but we'll see yeah yeah so but yeah, I mean, Ryan Braun, um, so many big moments, especially against the Cardinals. You know, he he really kind of killed the Cardinals and the Cubs. He loved playing against them, mm-hmm. and Cubs fans hated him so much. Um, but it, it was so fun. Um, but yeah, and, and certainly some of those big moments, uh, too, in his career. I mean, you know, they happened before you arrived in Milwaukee, 2008, 2011. Um, you know, mm-hmm. those uh, big moments to, to clinch postseason bursts 
um, you know, 2008, especially. Um, I, I know Brian Anderson talks about that home run all the time. And I think that was one where his voice cracked on the call. And that's, that's never a fun memory. It's like, it's like, oh, come on. This is going to be the, the historic call. My voice cracked, but. Uh, yeah, and so- that was his second year. That was his second year as the TV guy, too. He had started in 07, so 08 there in a playoff run. And, um, and, and that home run ended up being an Apple commercial, an iPod commercial, the first ever iPod commercial. That, that video clip is on it. So, I mean, how cool is that? Thanks, yeah. Ronnie. Yeah, thanks, thanks, Bron, for getting my voice crack on an iPod commercial. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, but yeah. So I mean, with, with Ryan Braun and and everything that he meant to the organization, I mean, he brought what five postseason bursts uh, when he was here, um, and, and mm-hmm. before he arrived, the franchise only had two. Um, so, do you, uh, there's kind of been this uh, debate raging on Twitter, but do you think his number? will be retired by the Brewers. Uh, I do. I'm, I'm kind of in that. I, I'm a hundred percent in the boat that he spent his entire career as a Brewer, which is really important. It's 14 great years. He's the all-time leader in home runs. He's won an MVP. Um, he's won a couple silver sluggers. Uh, he's, he's done a lot for the organization. He put the organization back on the map. Mm-hmm. He was part of that group. And um, as you mentioned, five postseason runs when they had only had two in the franchise's history in the first 35 years that they were a franchise. Um, I think that that speaks volumes. And at the end of the day, I do think that number eight gets retired at some point. I don't think they'll ever issue it again. No one will ever have it. It's kind of like Gumby's number. No one's had Gumby's number, even though it's not officially retired. Nobody's had it. Um, But I, I do think that that you'll see a number eight up on the crest of American family field at some point in the, in the near future. I do think that that's going to happen. Yeah. It's a polarizing question for a lot of Brewers fans. Um, You have some on, you know, the far end of the spectrum. Yes, it's definitely going to happen. No, it absolutely shouldn't. And then a lot of people in the middle who kind of, you know, I fully understand anyone who has, um, conflicting feelings about whether or not that should happen. Um, you, you have to take, you know, everything in his history into account. Um, but I, I know personally, um, I feel like he did a lot ever since then to, you know, give back to the community, do things for, you know, this city and this fan base and this um, franchise as much as he could to, you know, rehab his image or however you want to say it. Um, but just to, you know, like you said, like the fact that he helped usher in an era of success, sustained success, you know, minus a couple of years, maybe in the middle um, of a quick rebuild that the, this franchise just has never seen. I just don't think you can overlook that. And so, like, I've gone back and forth myself as to, you know, should it happen? Should it not? But I mean, how do you discount where this team is now as a franchise? and what his impact was on that. Yeah. I don't think you can. I, I am there. There's a lot of frustration, as you mentioned with what happened in 2013 and the way that that was all handled, the things he said, the way he went about it, um, the bridges that he burned There's There's no, no way to get around that. It was handled very, very poorly. Um, but at the end of the day, what he did on the field, 
cannot be overlooked. Um, and, and also you, you got to take into, into effect the relationship that he has with Mark Atanasio and the family and the owners. Um, if the owners are going to do that, if they want to do that, they're going to do it because that's up to them. It's their decision at the end of the day. And he has a great relationship with them. And not that that trumps what he did on the field, uh, but what he did on the field was worthy of having his number retired and um, take all the morality stuff out of it. I mean, there are a lot worse things that he could have done in life. <laughs> there really are. Um, but uh, again, I, I still think that, that he deserves to have that number retired and he deserves to have that recognition. And, and I'm just glad there's going to be fans in the building on the 26th um, so that, on Ryan Braun day, he can be celebrated and he can go out the way he wants to go out because his last home game last year, there was nobody in the stands and it was really weird. Um, and you could tell as he was going down to the field, as he's walking down the steps, going down to the field, he took a couple of extra minutes to kind of soak it up. And there was no, there was nobody there. There was a bunch of cardboard cutouts that he was giving high fives to. And that he should, he doesn't deserve that. He deserves to have people applaud him at home. He, he deserves to have that uh, in Milwaukee. Yeah, absolutely. And that's why, I mean, for the longest time, I thought that there was actually a chance that he was going to try to come back midseason. I mean, I know he doesn't like spring training, um, you know, the early part of the season, but, you know, maybe, you know, June, July, August rolled around and maybe he'd be like, you know what? I still kind of got that itch. You know, let's just, let's just go for a final stretch run, you know, see what I got. Did you think he was going to be coming back to, to play at all this year? I thought it was a possibility. And then once July got here and he wasn't back, I kind of went, nah, this, this doesn't seem like it's going to happen. Cause at that point you were sitting there going, well, where's he going to play? What's mm -hmm. he, what's he going to do? Um, where does he fit on this team? And that's when you had Yelich starting to swing the bat a little bit better. Kane came back. Garcia's back. He's having a great year. Tyrone Taylor was starting to really play well and you're not going to take at bats away from him. Mm -hmm. So I, I really, at that point, I thought he's probably going to stay retired. Um, not that it wouldn't have been fun to see him try, but I think that um, he, he made the right, he made the right decision. He made the right decision for him, the right decision for his family. And, you know, the Brewers have something really special going right now. Yeah. It'll just be nice. Like you said, the fact that he can, just even in a small way, be involved, even if it's just for a Ryan Braun day. Um, if this mm -hmm. season ends up being as truly special as we think it has a chance to be for him to be able to play his small part in that um, it'll, it'll be really nice. And especially just to kind of like what a big jolt that can be to kind of catapult the Brewers into the postseason Cause that's going to happen, you know, right as we're, you know, kind of fighting for some seating here. Yeah, I think so. And, I, and and to be frank, I think the division's going to get wrapped up probably not this weekend, maybe this weekend, but definitely, I think definitely in that Cardinal series um, at the latest. Um, so, I mean, it, it's looking really good. And, and you're in a situation where I think, I think Ryan Braun probably comes back and throws out a first pitch in a postseason series or something like that. And everybody else gets excited about it. And again, he's going to have his day on the 26th. I think, 
I think it's great. The, the team is in such a great place right now, and I know they just lost two games to Detroit. In Detroit, only scored one run in the whole series. Um, but, man, they're they're rolling right now. They're going to get the National League Central back. you got the Cubs coming into town. There's a great opportunity to score a bunch of runs against that pitching staff. Uh, you got the Cardinals coming into town and hoping to shut the door on them a little bit, and the Mets. I mean, that, there's a lot of good stuff coming for this team over the next 10 days. Yeah, and I mean, they got that uh, magic number down to five um, already. I mean, it's it, it's getting there. Um, and I, I really don't think that, I mean, there's much concern. I mean, what are they at? A 13 and a half game lead or, or something like that. I mean, it's it, it's pretty well handled so far. And really, I mean, the key is just going to be maintaining health over these final few yeah. weeks with, with all their guys. I mean, once they have it officially wrapped up, I think council's certainly going to be more cautious. Uh, with you know with the starting pitchers and with um, relievers and with some of the starting offensive players um, but yeah I mean they, they got kind of plenty of time there and then they can line up that rotation uh, however they want to uh, for the postseason so um, with that rotation I mean with, with obviously with what we've seen from them um you know, all season with Woodruff, Burns, Peralta, it's, it's all been phenomenal. But then also over these last few months, Eric Lauer and Adrian Hauser have also been phenomenal. I mean, Brett Anderson's on the IL, but I mean, if you, if you look at the rotation right now, every single guy is 28 years old or younger. And they have several years of team control. I, I think all of them have at least three plus more years of team control. And they're all so good. Like it's, it's so tough to, to see an opening pop up anytime sooner or to, or to take anyone out and just the numbers that they're putting up, you know, some, someone just, uh, it was Dave Roberts of the Dodgers saying, Oh, the, you know, we have the best rotation in baseball. You know, the, the Dodgers do. I'm just, I'm just looking at it like, have, what happened to the Brewers? Like we're, we're right there. And like, yeah, you know, there's not the big names. There's, you know, there's no Max Scherzer with a decade of, of MLB success. But, man, I mean, the, I feel like the Brewers have to be um, just about the best rotation in baseball, don't you? Yeah, I think that they're right up there. I mean, the Dodgers do have a great rotation. Now that Kershaw's back and you have Urias and Walker Bueller is phenomenal. And don't take anything away from Scherzer. Um, but that's they got four guys. Uh, for the Brewers, they've got their five. Um, and in a postseason series, you know, in the best of five, you're going to run Corbin Burns out there twice, or you're going to run Brandon Woodruff out there twice, or Freddie Peralta twice, depending on which way you want to run this thing out there. And you could cobble together a game four if you wanted to with a combination of Lauer and Hauser. I mean, they, they have such an embarrassment of, of riches in this pitching staff to shorten games. And then you give it up to your bullpen to a guy like Jake Cousins or Brad Boxberger or Devin Williams or Josh Hader. I mean, the Brewers pitching staff is unbelievable. And, and they have a, a really good opportunity to do something special. And I think their offense is awfully dynamic, too, um, to make a really deep run in the postseason once they get Willie Adamas back. And if you get Telez back, and even if you don't, you get Jace Peterson over at first base who grinds out at bats after at bat. So um, I, I, I think that, yeah, the Dodgers, they, they have a little bit more postseason pedigree. I get that. I understand that. Um, but I, 
I put this Brewers rotation up against anybody. I mean, what are the what's the over under for combined runs scored per game in a series against the Brewers and Dodgers? What two and a half? I mean, <laughs> maybe last year, right? Like last year, there were not a lot of runs scored because the Brewers were offensively challenged, um, but they also yeah. didn't give up a lot to the Dodgers. This year, the Brewers' rotation is that much better, but so is the Dodgers. I mean, that's going to be a battle if that's what we end up seeing in the playoffs. Yeah, if that's the series, um, it's going to be fun. I know that. It's going to be a lot of fun. But, again, the Dodgers have to catch the Giants. They're a game and a half back as of right now. They have no more matchups against one another. Um, And the Giants, just they keep winning. Right. I mean, you look at it and you go, how does this team keep winning? How does Buster Posey keep hitting home runs at 100 years old? And how does Brandon Crawford continue to play shortstop the way that he's doing it and hit home runs? How does Brandon Belt make contact with that swing? I don't understand, but they're doing it. They're doing it and they're they're having a lot of success. It's a it's a great year for the Giants. I applaud them and they're their pitching is holding together for right now because they're kind of doing what the Dodgers are doing with all these bullpen games every second or third day because their rotations in shambles, but it's working. They continue to win games. Um, you know, and if, if you end up with the Braves in the first round, that's an offense that can put up 10 runs before they even bat an eye. Um, that's mm-hmm. a really good offense. So you know, all, all of the series are going to be tough and, and, what, what happens if, okay, so say the Dodgers don't win the, the wild card game. Say they're in the wild card game and they get beat by Wade Miley in a one game playoff. I'm not saying the Reds are going to get there, but what if the Reds get there? Wade Miley shoves that cutter right where the sun don't shine on the Dodgers, right? So then, then the, the Giants have to play the Reds. And what happens if the Reds get through and it's the Brewers and the Reds and the NLCS, right? I mean, anything could happen. Anything can happen. Mm-hmm. It's October. I know, I know Major League, yeah, Major League Baseball wouldn't like that too much. I don't think the national <laughs> audience would like that too much. But I mean, if you're if you're a Brewers fan, you're loving that. Yeah, I mean, anything to really kind of avoid having to face both the the Giants and the and the Dodgers. I mean, that's where I was kind of like looking at. It's like for that number one seed. I know the Brewers aren't really in position for that number one seed, but I was like, oh, you know, should they go for it? It's like. Do you want to face both the Dodgers and the Giants or just one of them after they beat up on each other in a very emotionally and physically draining series? I'd, I'd kind of in rather have who's left. Series. Yeah. Yeah. In, in a five-game series, too, where they're just going to beat the crap out of each other. Um, yeah, I, I'm kind of with you. I think the two-seed is, is a good place to be. There's nothing wrong with that. Whoever comes out of the East. If the Phillies – I mean, if the Phillies, that's a team that should be winning the division. There's no reason they should not be winning that division. With the offense that they have, with the pitching that they have, their bullpen's a little bit of a train wreck. But they're, they've got starters that are phenomenal. I don't understand how they're not, they're not a better team. Uh, but I think the Brewers are, are in a really good place to where it doesn't matter who comes out of the, the division series. Uh, or who comes out of the wild card game or whatever else they, they can beat anybody. And I think they feel that way too. Um, they took the season series against the giants or a drop fly ball away from going five and two, basically against San Francisco. They took three of four from the Dodgers when the Brewers were a totally different team at that point. Um, and then you got three at the end of the season with LA 
talk about a postseason preview right there. That's going to be a great weekend series, the Brewers and the Dodgers at Chavez Ravine. That'll be fun. <laughs> yeah, I found it interesting when they scheduled that one for like the final game of the season. I'm like, really? You're sending us out to L.A. for the final game of the of the regular season? Like, that's kind of that kind of sucks. But yeah, well, yeah. I the mean, Brewers fin- the Brewers start and end next year with the West as well. I think they open <laughs> up with the the Diamondbacks or something and end the season. Oh, yeah, I think so. With, with the West, too. Yeah. MLB has it. it out for us, you know? No. <laughs> Crazy. Um, they just got to give the they got to give the keys to the schedule back to the the old couple out in New England who used to yeah. do it for years. The Stevensons. Yeah, yeah I, I remember seeing that story and I'm just like, this, this is crazy that they were doing this for so long. And I felt like the schedules yeah. were, were so much better back then. Like now I feel like it's just too like formulaic and, and whatever. And yeah, I don't know. It's because but, that's because that's what it is. It's a formula. And they just plug it in and pew, yeah. spit it out. That's all yeah. it is. I don't like it. <laughs> I don't like it. Darn you, technology. <laughs> ah, the worst. Yeah. Old man yells at cloud. <laughs> Old man. Yeah. I don't know. I've got a few gray hairs popping in and, and starting to concern me. Um, but yeah. Anyways, that aside. Um, um, just with, uh, with what this team has, has done this year, um, and really since the arrival of Willie Adamas, we touched on it a little bit earlier, but I mean, since, since Adamas came here, it, it's been a, a completely different team and, you know, just kind of like looking back on, um, like their stats, like since that, like since May 22nd, since Willie Adamas day. Mm-hmm. Um, the Brewers have the fourth best offense in baseball in, in terms of offensive war and, and they're top 10 or top five in several offensive categories. And I remember a lot of people telling me Andy Haynes should be fired after <laughs> a week into the <laughs> season. And now over the past several months, it's like, hey, we have a functioning offense. What do you know? Andy Haynes actually just might know what he's doing. Yeah, it's um, it's amazing the overreaction that you get from a lot of a lot of people. I mean, we were saying it up in the booth. It's you got to find a way. This this offense has too many names. Why are they underachieving? I don't understand what's happening. Uh, but at the end of the day, Major League Baseball is not played. It is played every day, but determinations aren't made every day. It's more of the slow play right? It's 162 games. It's you determine the way that a season is going to go by series, not by individual games, right? You can, you can judge a a team over the course of a week. And then the next week, it's a totally different story. Um, I I think that it's just such a, and it's a very overreactive type of sport too, because it is every day. I mean, imagine if the NFL played every day, what kind of you'd never be able to do it. The sport is just too, too violent. But at the, at the end of the day, what if the NFL, because of the, the, the publications and all of the, all of the exposure that it has was played every day, all of the overreaction that you would have with an NFL team, right? You get it with basketball too. You get it 
and then you get it, especially with baseball, because it is every day. It, you just overreact to everything. Like the Indians have been no hit three times, four times if you count a seven inning no hitter, right? Mm-hmm. So if you count it, which it doesn't count, but their hitting coach is still there. Everything else is going fine. It, it just happens. You have a bad day, you get back there, and sometimes and they will score ten runs the next day. Like the Indians, I think they scored ten runs the other day, and they got no hit on Saturday. It's just such a it's such a tough sport. And I think more than anything, hitting coaches are therapists more than they're anything else. And once you get to know these guys on offense and know what gets them to tick and what gets them ready to compete day in and day out, that's when you're going to start to have more success. And again, the weather gets warmer. The offense improves when weather gets warmer for these Midwest and East Coast teams. It's just the way that it works. Um, I love Andy. I think Andy does a great job. I'm glad that the organization didn't overreact to what the fan base was talking about over the first six weeks of the season, because I think he does a, a phenomenal job with these guys and getting them ready to compete day in and day out. And I, I think too, a, a lot of the overreaction may have had to do with the 2020 season and a lot of sure. the moves that didn't work, you know, that seemed like, you know, a lot of us uh, had the opinion that over a 162 game season those moves may have paid off and, you know, a, a lot of them just didn't. And well, this year you see Stearns actually do a lot of the same things last year, they get Garcia and add him to an outfield that seemingly already has a starting lineup set. Well, let's do the same thing again this year with Jackie Bradley jr. You have a lot of those like little moves like Telez, like, you know, Jace Peterson, who ends up being DFA'd and well, let's just bring him back up again. And he ends up having a monster year. And then of course your classic trade that you don't see coming in Willie Adamas out of nowhere, it ends up working this season. And I'm really glad that Stearns, like you said, you know, didn't cave to the overreaction, went about his business the way that he does and look at what that's ended up doing for the Brewers offense in 2021. Sure. Even on the pitching side of Brad Boxberger, who doesn't make the opening day roster and he becomes your seventh inning guy and sometimes closes games. Uh, they make really shrewd moves and very smart moves. And um, you're right. Last year's transactions didn't work out the way that David Stearns wanted to. But at the end of the day, 2020 was just a screwy year. There was a lot going on and you can't really blame anything on moves. You can't blame anything on anything. It was just a year that, will go down in infamy as one that you'll never forget because it was so weird. Um, but his moves this year have worked out. Abby Garcia, I think this is the player they thought they were going to get when they signed him to a two-year deal last year. He's got an option for next year. Um, I think the trade, the trade with the Padres, they got blasted to bring in Eric Lauer and Luis Urias for Trent Grisham and Zach Davies. I mean, remember all those conversations about, are you kidding me? That's the move that you're going to make. And now Luis Arias has hit 20 homers and he has been one of the most consistent offensive players on the team. And Eric Lauer is pitching his tail off this year. Um, You just got to have some patience. You got to have some patience. These guys are younger, younger players. I think Arias is now 25, right? Trent Grisham had a great season last year. Wins a gold glove this year. He's been nothing but hurt. And Zach Davies has an ERA near six with the Cubs. So these are, these are things that just work out and it just takes patience and a little bit of um, intestinal fortitude to get through it. 
Yeah. I remember last year, I mean, just, I mean, Abby Garcia had like what two homers. He was hitting like what barely like 240 ish or something like that. Omar Narvaez hit like a buck 70. Like he was right. atrocious at the plate. And this year he's, he's got the best batting average on the team. He's hitting like 285 mm-hmm. or something. Um, and, he, and he's showing the power and, and he's got the defense and it's like, yeah, these are the guys that, you know, that they expected them to be, you know, we always knew Narvaez yeah. could hit. He, he had shown over several years that he could hit. Um, and Abby Garcia had shown that he had plenty of power and now he's finally showing it on a more consistent basis. Um, and one of those guys also um, that, you know, kind of a shrewd move that we didn't expect Colton Wong. Uh, they signed this year They they had a second baseman in Kesson Hira, uh, who's a really, who was a really good hitter. Um, then they decided let's move him to first. Let's bring in Colton Wong gold glove defense. And well, Colton Wong has worked out at least. I'm not sure what's fully happened to Keston Hira, but, um, Colton Wong, new dad, by the way, congratulations to the Wongs cash Wong. I, I think that's phenomenal by the way. Um, but he's showing off some more of that new dad strength now. Um, you know, he's up to 13 home runs on the season. That's a career high for him. He's got a career high OPS, career high OPS plus, and he's one short of his career high for doubles. Colton Wong has just been phenomenal as an addition this year. Yeah, he has. He's missed a lot of time too with the oblique stuff that he's dealt with. So think if he's, that's basically a month that he's missed out of the season, maybe a little bit more. He, he's been outstanding. He's helped out the team defense. He's helped out the team speed. Um, and Craig Council just said, here's the leadoff spot. Go have fun. Go be yourself. And he's been awesome. He has been awesome at the top of the lineup. And um, he adds a different dimension to this team. And, and I said it when the, the Brewers were in St. Louis, the, there was a local radio station that had me on on their radio show. And I got crushed on Twitter because I said that Colton Wong is being the best version of himself. He's He's actually showing some personality. He's becoming a better player maybe it just took him coming out of st louis to do it and these cardinal fans were like what are you talking about he was always himself here and he had fun and played with flair and i went guys he was not this player offensively when you when he was in st louis and he admitted that he said these guys were trying to turn me into a slap hitter they wanted me to go the other way they wanted me to take this big leg kick out and they didn't want me to hit for power. They wanted me to hit for contact and they wanted me to get on base. And I can still do those things while still hitting for power, which is basically the point that I was saying. And I was getting crushed by these Cardinals fans. And I went, okay, guys, you can just whatever you want to say, I really don't care because you don't know what you're talking about. So that's fine. Um, Typical Cardinals <laughs> the, fans. So typical I just, of them. And, and, well, and I, I worked in the Cardinals organization for three years, and they're like, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. Fine, maybe I don't, but I know what I've seen. And I saw him in the minor leagues. I saw Colton when he was in Double A in 2012, and I was in Springfield. I've seen him now 10 seasons later. He's a different guy. He's a different guy. He hits different. He plays a much better defense at second base than he did when he was coming through. I got a good relationship with him. He's having so much fun in that clubhouse. And he's, he's just a big difference maker, and he knows how to win. And that, and that is something that this organization, the Brewers organization, does not take lightly. It's, 
I feel like we don't actually talk quite enough about how much stability Wong has brought to that leadoff position. Um, remember last season, we talked quite a bit um, about, you know, who's going to be the leadoff guy for the Brewers. Ten different guys in 60 games uh, batted in the one spot for Ryan the Brewers, Healy. including exactly Ryan Healy, who did it twice. <laughs> and now uh, Colton Wong has stepped in when healthy um, to really anchor that down. And I think that's been just another huge uh, boost for this Brewers offense in 2021. I'm so glad you guys could remind me that Ryan Healy was a Brewer <laughs> last year. I had for, I mean, he started game two of the playoff series and died of cleanup, didn't he? Cleanup. He's uh, a cleanup hitter. Um, uh, it, it just goes to show how far this organization has come in the last year and a half too. Um, no, but, but you're right. You never have to worry about Colton at the leadoff spot, whether it's a lefty on the mound or a righty on the mound, he's going to give you a tough at bat. He's even better against lefties than he is against righties this year. He's just, he's just a, a great player to have. And he's popping some home runs from the leadoff spot. I think he's got six leadoff homers this year or something like that. Uh, I think that's what it was. I think he's got six, yeah. eight in his career and six this season. So it's, it's instant offense. It's just, he's a joy to be around. He's a joy to be around. He's so fun to watch. And you know, when the ball is hit his way, he's going to make the play. And that, that is a comfort that I think this, this pitching staff really appreciates too. Yeah. And that certainly helps with, I think that helps with the dominance that we've seen from the staff. I mean, you look at Freddie Peralta and Corbin Burns having such low hit per nine rates, and these guys are just giving up so few hits. I mean, across the entire rotation. And we've talked about, you know, last four starts, you know, they they haven't allowed a hit, you know, before the the fourth inning. And, um, you know, just all these other things that, that this pitching staff has done with not allowing hits – a lot of that is going to be stemming from they get a lot of, you know, when they get balls on the ground, they got Colt Long just gobbling up everything um, over there at second base. And you got Willie Adamas at shortstop, who's also been phenomenal when he's out there. Um, so it's just it, it helps the, the pitchers. It, it just helps everything just kind of get in line, having that uh, defense and as David Stearns has preached for a couple of years, the, the run prevention unit and Craig council has preached the run prevention unit, And Wong has been a major, major piece of that. And he's really just kind of helped turn uh, this whole infield around really. Yeah, he has uh, the whole infield defense has been great. And even at first base, Brady Telez over there, he's, he's been a very good defensive first base he saved a lot of runs over at first base. Um, Eduardo Escobar is an underrated third baseman and Luis Reyes moving over to third was a great move too. He's been a very good third baseman. He's had his issues at short and those are very well documented. He's there now. Um, they're hoping to get Willie Adamas back after the Cubs series is over, maybe before the Cardinal series begins. Um, but there just aren't a lot of hits in that infield. And then you look at the outfield too, and the way that those guys run around with Kane and JBJ and Garcia and even Yelich. Um, there aren't a lot of hits to be had in that outfield. And plus the way this pitching staff strikes guys out. I mean, it's again, it's, it's something different every day. You just show up at the ballpark and you go, well, what's this team going to bring me today that I'm going to marvel at. It feels like it's something every day. 
Um, Colton Wong has the most defensive runs saved of any second baseman in the NL with six, just above Edmund in St. Louis and Segura in Philly. Does he win the gold glove this year? I sure hope so. I sure hope so. I mean, he's certainly deserving of it. I feel like he should have more than, than he has. What's he have one in his career? He should have more than that. Two. Maybe he uh, two. I think he's got the last yep. two. He's got the last two, 19 and 20. Yeah. Or 18 and 19. He's, yeah, he should have three. He should have four. He should have five. I mean, he's been one of the best <laughs> second basemen in baseball for a long time. Um, and if he doesn't win it this year, I'd be shocked. He's been, he's been phenomenal. Yeah. And it's just kind of fun seeing that, that he's above Edmund in that category and others. It still amazes me to no end that the Cardinals let him go, that, that they declined yeah. his option and they just let him be a free agent. I mean, I'm thanks, fine guys. with it because it, yeah, thanks a lot, St. Louis. <laughs> we really appreciate it. It's about time you gave us a gift after all yeah. these years. <laughs> Yeah, no uh, doubt. He's a he's a perfect brewer too, and he loves being mm-hmm. in Milwaukee. Yeah, ab- absolutely love to love to see it, love to hear it, um, and, and love seeing Cardinals fans a little bit sad about it. So that's always <laughs> always a good time. Uh, Matt, do you have uh, any final things to to ask Jeff here? Uh no, I think I, I'm good on my end. Yeah, co- covered most of it. I mean, there there's been a lot this past week. I mean, as we as we've talked yeah, about, you know the the right. the Vogie Grand Slam, the you know the no hitter, bronze retirement. There's there's been so much going on, um, and documenting it all for our ears is Jeff Levering. Jeff, thanks so much, man, for taking the time on your off day here to to hop on with us and, and talk some brewers, man. We really appreciate it. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Enjoy the stretch run, guys. You get two more weeks for something special and uh, hope to see you around the ballpark. No, oh, yeah, we'll we'll be there. I think I got uh, I got I got a few more games coming up, so uh, we'll we'll make see you there. Catches, huh? Yeah, make some catches. I know where you sit. You, you gotta you gotta make some catches. Let's go. Yeah, well, I mean that they, they they've they're been tall so enough. close. Yeah, I I know. We actually had a supply Adam McAlvey friend of the podcast with a glove the other day like my dad tossed his glove up there to him because Adamas hit like two mm-hmm. in a row right back to McAlvey and he kept dropping them so it's just like oh. look we need to throw you a glove man because you got no hands <laughs> <laughs> skillet hands skillet hands McAlvey yeah it's all right <laughs> that is what they say that's all right yeah <laughs> I, I have heard that <laughs> Great writer, uh, not blessed at catching, but that's okay. Yeah, yeah he uses <laughs> the hands for 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 typing, not much for not much for catching. Uh, there, right. there, there's a reason some of us go into the press box and not the dugout. That's yeah. right. Yeah, very much so. <laughs> Thanks sure, for having me, guys. I appreciate it. Yeah, yeah, we appreciate you coming on. I'm sure. I'm sure Bob Buecher's got also plenty of stories about there's a reason he's up in the press box instead of the dugout now. But <laughs> just a couple. Yeah, just a yeah. couple, yeah. Just, and one of them a is a dent right behind our booth. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. What a guy. What a guy. Um, yes. th- yeah. So, all right. Yeah. Thank you so much, Jeff, for, for hopping on. That'll do it for us this week. Um, be sure to follow Jeff on Twitter at, it's at Jeff Levering 4, right? At Levering 4 
on Twitter. Uh, you can follow me at dgasper24 and Matt at mkematt13. Uh, be sure to tune in next week for another episode uh, we'll, as we continue to get you caught up and get ready for postseason baseball because it is going to be coming back to the Brewers once again. Thanks again to Jeff Levering. For Jeff, for Matt Carroll, I'm Dave Gasper. We'll see you next week for another episode of the Cold Brew Podcast. Bye.